0: Hey listeners, this month's episode we revisit Hypno and talk with Sir David who is a professional erotic hypnotist and get his thoughts and experience on the topic. But before our interview, I would like to thank our sponsorship tier patrons. That's Andrew Blackley, Connor Bone, Demon Boy, Decovery, Brian C, Harry Hypnotist and Matthew O'Mara, as well as all our $1 tier patrons who get this show a week early. We are grateful to all of you and your funds are currently helping this show with improvements in our equipment. I'm so excited we're hopefully gonna get rid of the table knocking noise here because I have to basically do this on the kitchen table and really start to improve the sound quality as well as visual quality, designs. We've got a new logo in the work and it's all thanks to you. So with that being said, thank you so much and on with the interview. So welcome to the show, David. Uh, Welcome, sir. Thank you. (laughs) So yeah, I just wanted to get on because um, you are a very good hypnotist. You've got, you're quite experienced, you do it professionally. Mm -hmm. So I thought you could give us
1: a bit more perspective on the subject. I'd be happy to. (laughs) That's something that I care quite a lot about and I have a lot of experience with, as you mentioned. Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) You are very good at it. So
1: why don't you tell the audience about yourself? Sure. So I've been doing hypnosis for over 10 years now. I started off doing it just as a hobby. It was something that intrigued me from a very young age, and I learned everything I could about it when I felt like I had the time and the privacy to do so. And when I discovered that there were other people out there who had the same sort of interests as me including people who are interested in being hypnotized in addition to just doing hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Then I had a lot of fun exploring that and doing online hypnosis sessions with people. Um, I also did a couple of in-person sessions as well. and The feedback that I got from everyone that I worked with was consistently very positive. Um, I had a couple of guys tell me that I was the best hypnotist I had ever worked with. and I decided after doing it as a hobby for a couple of years, to get certified and to go professional and so I've been doing that for I think about eight years now I've been doing it professionally it's a side job for me it's not my main gig but it's Mm -hmm. something that I have a lot of fun with and I feel like I can help people out do a lot of good and it's an interesting thing to talk about at parties and on podcasts (laughs) brilliant so you use it not just erotically but also therapeutically That's right. Yes, I do both hypnotherapy and erotic hypnosis. And in fact, um, I've had a fair number of people who I work with ask about combining those in the same session. And that is possible to do. Interesting.
0: I always find it so hard to talk about this because it is such a uniquely, it's got such a personal perspective to it. Like everyone's experience with hypnosis is different because it all happens
1: in the mind. That's right. But at the same time, there are a lot of similarities between people's experiences. And I often like to tell people what hypnosis is and what they can expect out of a session, which, as you mentioned, might be a little bit different from person to person, but generally is fairly consistent.
0: Cool. Um, so what is your personal definition of hypnosis?
1: How would you describe it to someone? Hypnosis is nothing more and nothing less then a state of highly focused attention on one particular thing to the point that whatever it is that you're focusing on feels much more vivid in your imagination and everything else that you're not focusing on fades away. It's not that you don't notice it at all. It's that you don't care to pay any attention to it. Uh The best example that I like to give for this is if you've ever gone to a movie theater and watched a really good movie uh, when you first go into the theater, you see all the other people in the theater. You notice the shape of the theater, and, and you know maybe you're talking with your friends and so on. But once the movie starts, if it's a good movie that actually draws you in, you stop noticing anything in the movie theater except for the movie itself. You stop noticing the other people in the theater. You stop noticing even the edges of the screen. Your attention is completely focused just on the movie. And That is an example of a hypnotic trance. That is something that draws your attention and focuses it to a degree that it becomes more vivid in your imagination, and everything else sort of falls away for a little while. Sometimes people come out of a movie thinking, wow, that was two and a half hours? That didn't feel like it. That time just sort of flew by. And that sort of time dilation effect, where time can appear shorter or longer than it actually is, is also very common in hypnotic trances as well.
0: I I can attest your sense of time
1: does go when you just um, have that sort of tunnel focus. So for the context of our listeners, I should mention that I have done a hypnosis session with Craig in the past.
0: And we've also talked
1: about doing more in the future as well. Oh, yes.
0: I have no shame in saying you are my favorite hypnotists.
1: Good boy. (laughs) Oh,
0: God. (laughs) Yes, that
1: trigger is still there.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes. Yes, it's very much still there.
0: (laughs) So, yes, uh, maybe if we could go into triggers and how they
1: work. Sure. So triggers are one of the most exciting things about hypnosis and also some of the most misunderstood. Um, a lot of people view hypnosis as this state of mind control, where when they go into a trance, that the hypnotist is going to utterly take control of their mind and change them and transform them into something different. Some people find this idea to be scary. Some people find this idea to be arousing. Some people find both at the same time. And that's mm-hmm. all very understandable. But whether you are happy or sad about this, I'm here to tell you that hypnosis is not mind control. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) Some kinksters are very disappointed to hear it, but hypnosis is about suggestion. Hypnosis is about more subtly nudging a person's mind in a certain direction. And triggers are one of the most effective way of doing that. The word trigger talks about having a cause and an effect. You can think of how, like with a gun, when you pull the trigger, it causes the gun to fire. Similarly, with a hypnotic trigger, there is a cause to the trigger or a a stimulus, and there is a response to the trigger, something that happens when that stimulus occurs. So to go back to the movie theater metaphor that I mentioned earlier, a very common trigger that most people have without even thinking about it is that when you walk into the lobby of a movie theater... You smell the smell of buttered popcorn. And smelling that popcorn causes or triggers the thought in your mind, hmm, maybe I should buy some popcorn at the concession stand. This is something that movie theaters do intentionally. They intentionally pipe the smell of buttered popcorn into the lobby to try to get more people to buy popcorn, which raises their profit margins. That doesn't mean that people have been hypnotized. It simply means that they have been exposed to this cause-and-effect trigger over and over enough that their mind has created that association. So when you are dealing with hypnosis and you are talking about suggestibility and nudging people's minds in certain directions, it's possible to set new triggers in someone's mind. For example, uh, most people who do erotic hypnosis, myself included, will set very common triggers with other people, including a pleasure trigger and a reinduction trigger. Those are very common in almost any erotic hypnosis scene. A pleasure trigger is one where when the hypnotist says or does a certain thing, the subject, the person who's being hypnotized, feels an intense wave of pleasure. And you can use that to train the subject to do things that the hypnotist wants them to do. And a re-induction trigger is a trigger where, when the hypnotist says or does a certain thing, it causes the subject who was not previously hypnotized to go into a state of hypnosis, whether that is a light state of hypnosis or a deeper state of hypnosis. And I call that a re-induction trigger because the process of taking someone from a waking state of mind into a hypnotized state of mind is called an induction. It is inducing a trance. And so a re-induction trigger is bringing them back to that state of mind that they have been in in the past.
0: Yes. And I know for a lot of people who use hypnosis play as a form of fetish play, often induction or or inducting people is very much part of the pull.
1: Yes, that
0: sensation of shifting from a conscious mind to this really abstract focused state is in itself quite pleasurable. Now, for me, I find that um, I have quite a busy mind. And this ties into sort of my subhood in general, where part of the pleasure of being a sub or in a subspace or hypnotism is it quietens my mind and pulls my focus into one simple thing. Mm-hmm. And I find that intensely enjoyable. Pleasurable on many levels. Um, and that is a big part of why
1: I enjoy fractioning in itself. Yep. Fractioning or fractionation is the process of taking someone into a state of trance, then taking them out again, then putting them in again, and out again, and in again. That can tend to lead to a deeper state of trance. Um, But yes, you're absolutely right that one of the things that hypnosis does is it tends to quiet down and focus the mind in the same way that watching a movie does, that you don't usually have a running commentary in the back of your head while you're watching a really engaging movie. You might have a commentary in your head when you're, when you're watching a bad movie, and that can be fun as well. Yeah. But if it's something that pulls you in, if it's something that captures your attention – it's going to be the only thing that you're thinking about while you're watching that movie. And similarly, while you're in a state of hypnosis, the only thing that the subject is thinking about is the voice of the hypnotist and doing what he tells you to do, following orders and allowing yourself to go deeper into the experience. And for some people, that is a very, very appealing state of mind.
0: Yes. And I think at this point we should bring up because one of the things i hear a lot from people just getting into hypnotism from the subs end is they have real difficulty letting go of consciously analyzing thought yes they're always is this what hypnotism feels like this isn't what i was expecting why am i talking why is my head and they keep that because they're trying to analyze the situation as it happens and it sort of becomes a self-feeding cycle where because they're not having the expected experience of falling into sort of a trance state Mm -hmm. that winds them up even more
1: and it brings them out of it even more yes i like to think of people as at least for from the perspective of doing hypnosis i divide people into two broad categories there are people who are the creative or intuitive types people who tend to be very at ease with exploring new things and not knowing exactly what's going on, but just sort of going with the flow. And then there are highly analytical types, people who are very interested in understanding everything that's happening to them, everything that they are going through, people who tend to spend a lot of time and effort on trying to analyze whatever they are doing at the time. And in my experience, the first category of people, the intuitive types are the people who go into trance much more easily than the analytical types, which doesn't mean that it's impossible if you have an analytical mind. I have done a lot of sessions with people who are analytically minded, but it is more difficult. And it's for exactly the reason that you mentioned, because people who are constantly analyzing the experience that they're going through, trying to understand what they're thinking, how they're feeling, if this is being hypnotized, if this is working, if this is not working, oh, God, what if I can't do this? Those sort of thoughts do tend to get in the way of simply going with the flow and allowing yourself to sink into the experience of being hypnotized. Again, just like you can allow yourself to sink into the experience of watching a good movie. Um, Ironically, some of the most difficult subjects for me to hypnotize are people who have been so aroused by the idea of erotic hypnosis, so amped up by what it's going to be like to be totally controlled, that they have very high expectations, very high expectations of what the experience will be like. And that causes them to be constantly doubting whether the experience that they are having matches the experience that they're expecting.
0: Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people be hurt by this, Mm -hmm. where they do have, they're expecting the fantasy, which is very much... Most people uh, with a hypnosis fetish, like who start out with a hypnosis fetish before they begin play they have a, it's a mind control fetish they want um sci fi comic book cartoon mind control experiences
1: which and unfortunately that... is not hypnosis yeah, so yes, if you have that expectation, um, you can live out mind control fantasies through role play but true hypnosis is different. True hypnosis is much more subtle. And another thing that I like to tell people about hypnosis is that I can't hypnotize someone who actively resists being hypnotized. Hypnosis is something that occurs in the mind of the person being hypnotized or the subject as we call them. So if you choose as the subject to be, to resist to try to see if you can fight my control over you, there's nothing that I as the hypnotist can do to overcome that resistance, because this is about me trying to influence your mind. And if you've decided that you won't allow that influence to happen, then that's it. It's your mind, and you can shut it down if you want to. So people who have that fantasy around being totally mind-controlled often wonder, well, if I resist then I won't be able to, if I try to resist, then I won't be able to, because I'm totally mind-controlled, and that is not the way that hypnosis works. Yeah, it's,
0: a friend of mine uh, explained it to me that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, and what hypnotists are are very skilled con men that get you to believe they're the ones doing it, rather than you're doing it to yourself. <laughs>
1: Hey, as a very skilled con man, I re- I resent that, Mark. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I have certainly heard that phrase of all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, and I believe it's generally true. But I also feel that it does make a big difference to a lot of people to feel like they are in good hands, to feel like someone that they trust and that they believe in is guiding the experience for them telling them where to go, what to do, and how to make it a successful and pleasurable experience. And I do think there's a lot of value in that. Oh, yeah. Trust is such an important part. Because that
0: is the key to essentially um, feeling safe enough to essentially let go. Mm -hmm. And just let the experience happen is that you're not on guard and you trust someone and you feel safe with them. And, you know, I've had my fair experience of people weren't that trustworthy when i started out mm-hmm. and the thing is as soon as they started doing something dodgy that was it i snapped out of it and i found myself bringing it up and it's like okay that wasn't right why are they talking about this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was it. it i was out yes trust is important
1: and it's important that you actually have a reason to build trust with someone absolutely when i start working with someone for the first time i always start with a conversation outside of trance to talk about who they are, what they're looking for, what their experience is with hypnosis, what their expectations are, what they want to do and what they don't want to do, and so on. And I also give them an opportunity to, to ask me any questions that they might have, um, which doesn't mean that I will answer every single question, but at least I will answer the ones that I feel are relevant. And that gives me an opportunity to find out what they're interested in as well. Um, I want to allow people to have a conversation with me so that they get a better idea of who I am and so that I get a better idea of who they are. That allows you to build that trust or that rapport, as it's also called. Uh, A rapport is a way of feeling comfortable with someone and feeling like you are willing to follow them down the path that they lead in the mind, in a
0: way. Yeah, so when discussing limitations of hypnosis, because I've struggled with this in the past, how do you best establish limits with people?
1: I talk about what I am willing to do and what they are interested in having done to them. And I very rarely will say just, no, that will never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually couch it in terms like, well, we can do that if both you and I are comfortable with that at the time. Because sometimes I find that my own limitations are not as strict as I thought, or the person that I'm working with as well. I always respect limits. I always understand that if someone doesn't want to do something, then they don't want to do it, and that is their decision and their prerogative. But I also understand that for many people, hypnosis is about submission. It's about being pushed to try new things. And so personally, I will occasionally test limits in terms of the mm-hmm. trance just to see if the answer that they gave originally was the still was the same answer as they're giving right now. And if it is, then I back off. But in terms of setting and establishing those limits, it's about conversations in terms of discussing what is possible and what is not possible, what's realistic for them. Um, Mm -hmm. what fits with their lifestyle, if they want to have changes happen to them outside of trance as well. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, some people find it very arousing to be turned into a full-time slave, but may not think about the implications of what that would mean for the people in their life, for their job, and so on. So it's about having reasoned, rational conversations and establishing what is realistic and what is not.
0: Yeah, because talking about things like discussing limits uh, when someone's under, Mm -hmm. that one of the things I do is never fully discuss limits when under. Like it's right to, as you said, test, and this is after a period of building up trust. It's like, I think we'll get to red flags later down the line for hypnotists. But one of the things is you should never be doing limit setting uh, when you're under. In the same way I tell people not to discuss limits when they 're really horny,
1: I would agree with both of those things, yeah. yes yeah.
0: My, my thing is, would this become a limit after you 've come mm-hmm. in all negotiations, and I think that applies to hypnosis as well Yes, because people have a lot of misconceptions around what the like subconscious is. some people think of it as this like true self, and it 's like this uh, supercomputer brain that works underneath. And that's not it. The subconscious, no. what it wants, deals with immediate irrational base desires, which are often in conflict, and we're getting into psychology here, which are often in conflict with what the conscious mind, which does long-term thinking and long-term planning, wants.
1: Exactly. And yes, this does get very deeply into psychology. Um, one of the reasons why I was interested in hypnosis is that I have a psychology background. I got a degree in psychology as well. But yes, there are various different theories of how the mind works. And uh this theory of the subconscious is one that separates the mind into, as you were describing, the conscious mind, which is what does active thinking, planning. It is your train of thought. It's the thing that is your the, the voice in your head when you're talking to yourself or deciding what you want to do next, what you want to have for breakfast, and so on. But there's also the subconscious mind, which is a deeper, more primal part of your mind that generally is involved in feelings, desires, curiosities, um things that are not always easily put into words but ideas that enter your head even sometimes without you necessarily wanting to be wanting them to be there Mm -hmm. when you look at someone and you think oh he's hot that is the subconscious mind saying i'm interested but then the subconscious mind can say well no this is a bad idea for various different reasons and that can be a case where the conscious and the subconscious mind come into conflict that can happen quite a lot Um, hypnosis is about allowing the conscious mind to step back for a little while so that the subconscious mind can come out and that can be useful for hypnotherapy for the purposes of understanding why these desires are entering your mind and what you can do about them and how to get your conscious mind and your subconscious mind to agree a little bit more instead of coming into conflict so often. But it can also come into play with erotic hypnosis when you're talking about what sort of things are interesting or arousing to you or how you can respond in various ways. Because the subconscious mind is also responsible for arousal and for those sort of unintentional responses such as the whole popcorn trigger I talked about Mm -hmm. before. So there's lots of different ways that you can uh, apply hypnosis to the subconscious mind in a useful way. That doesn't mean that the subconscious mind is better or worse than the conscious mind. It doesn't mean that it's a super intelligent supercomputer, and it doesn't mean that it's dumb either. It's just a different part of your mind, and it can be helpful to consider the two parts separately from each other. So with hypnosis as play, what's the
0: appeal to you to to use hypnosis in your play? What, what turns you on about having someone
1: hypnotized by you? There's a lot of different factors involved in what I like about it. <clears throat> the simplest and most straightforward is just the idea of having that sort of control and power over another person. Uh, the idea that I can, uh, snap my fingers or say a trigger word and that they will respond instantly and automatically, sometimes without even knowing that they are doing so. That can be really fun and really hot. Um, mm-hmm. Another part of what I enjoy about it is the simple fact that I enjoy giving pleasure. I think that most people enjoy giving pleasure. Um, I know for submissive people that can be a very strong draw in terms of why they want to submit because they want to bring pleasure to their dom. But for me as a dom, I also enjoy bringing pleasure to the people who are serving me. Um, I enjoy rewarding them for their service I enjoy seeing the way that I can um turn up the pleasure, as it were, and see how they respond to that. Provoking reactions is certainly very exciting to me. Um, seeing somebody arrive on the floor or moan with pleasure, seeing them respond in a way that they don't have full control over, is very hot to me, not just from the idea of I'm in charge, but also from the idea of I can cause you to feel this pleasure. I can cause you to think and feel and want these things. And that is fun both for you and for me. Mm -hmm. And it becomes sort of a virtuous cycle where I take pleasure out of his pleasure and he takes pleasure from mine as well.
0: And I think all good, like not just King play sex play should be like that. I would agree. Yeah. Yes. So you're not just a hypnotist, you have other kinks. So how does hypnotism fit in with other forms of kink
1: play? Hypnosis pairs really well with a lot of different kinks. I would say that it's a lot of fun to use hypnosis for bondage, tying people up with ropes that exist only in their mind. Um, You can use hypnosis for all sorts of sensation-based play, such as amping up the physical sensations that they feel setting all sorts of different uh arousals and fetishes as well uh craig you and i played with that last time as well oh yes yes Um, that that was quite surprising (laughs) mm -hmm. do you want to talk about your experience with that
0: so one of the things that stayed with me is you essentially gave me a new fetish which was foot worship Mm-hmm. I'd mentioned to you that there was a small part that kind of enjoyed it briefly and you, the best way I could describe it is you took the dial for that and turned it right up. Yes. Till it became a full focused like drawing. And yes, I had a lot of fun at your feet, sir.
1: Good boy. <laughs> so yes, you can use hypnosis for setting fetishes like that. You can use it for, uh, temporary personalities, which I quite like making someone think and feel at least temporarily that they are a porn star or a stripper or something like that can be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, yeah, that that can be very powerful. And it I always find it very interesting afterwards after you come out of that the way I always describe it to people, it's sort of like your mind's a light bulb. And the personality that's sort of created or the mindset is like a gel filter, Mm -hmm. so it's still you but it's parts of you given more exposure and other parts of you reduce
1: but it's still you yes i would say that probably the the other kinks and fetishes that hypnosis works best with are kinks and fetishes that have an aspect of transformation to them for example the idea of being turned into a puppy or being turned into a submissive drone furry play as well being turned into your persona or uh, something like that because hypnosis is going into your mind and affecting some of the things that you experience in that scenario in that um in that time when you are hypnotized the suggestions from the hypnotist are changing your perceptions a little bit and that can be very exciting for people who like the idea of being transformed in one way or another. Oh, yeah, there is
0: a huge overlap of people who are into sort of hypnosis and transformation.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: one thing I should note is when I'm talking about perceptions, this is one of the things that affects people differently. Like, I have never been able to do visual hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Like, I know some people can, under suggestion, actually see something different. I've never been able to do that. I can do physical sensations, but visual perception, I can't do those
1: hallucinations. Yes. Being hypnotized is a skill. Mm. Um, a lot of people aren't expecting that, but it turns out that it's, it's a case where some people are naturally more talented than others, but everyone improves with practice. So some people are just – the the way that their minds work is set up in such a way that they are very suggestible, that they can go very deep into trance very quickly, and they can experience some of these deeper and more interesting suggestions. And some people don't have that, or at least Ooh. not right away. But even the people who are not very suggestible normally can learn how to become more suggestible, It's a matter of practice, and it's a matter of feeling comfortable in the situation and learning the way that your mind works, learning how you can go into a trance, learning what works best for you. Yeah, just to pull us back
0: onto the transformation subject, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people want to use it for sort of more long-term changes. Mm -hmm. A very popular one that it seems to be, can it be used to get me more muscular? But it's framed in a fetish context of, can I be turn, turned into a jock?
1: Yes, I do get that request a lot. And I think especially with coronavirus, keeping people inside and making the gyms, gyms close, a lot of people are struggling with the motivation to work out more. And so this is one way of trying to boost that motivation. Um, the answer to the question of, can you use hypnosis to transform your body and become more muscular is yes, but indirectly. Simply being hypnotized will not cause you to lose weight or grow muscles. Um, yes, I have heard people <laughs> expecting that. Which yeah.
0: I know there was a rash of people trying to sell that in the eighties, and I think that's mm-hmm. mostly where the idea had come from. Yes, like, you know, just listen to my cassette tapes at seventy nine ninety nine, and your body will just turn muscular without
1: working on it. That's not the way it works. Yeah. It would be wonderful if, if it was, but no, uh, hypnosis cannot directly cause physical changes. It cannot make you taller or shorter. It cannot make you lighter or heavier. It can't change the color of your eyes or do anything like that. Um, Hypnosis is only about changing the way that your thought patterns happen, changing the way that you think. And if I am working with someone who wants to lose weight or who is interested in gaining muscle – then I always frame that in the sense of improving your motivation to make these changes and improving your willpower to stick with them. So people can have very pronounced physical transformations as a result of hypnosis in terms of getting more muscular and losing weight. But those transformations happen because the hypnosis leads them to make changes in their lifestyle. It makes them eat better Exercise more, uh, feel better about not having too much dessert and feel better about having more vegetables, things like that. Yeah. Um, you do still have to put in the work if you want to do, if you want these changes to happen to you. And as I mentioned as well, hypnosis is not mind control. It is not a case of well, I'm going to tell you to go to the gym, and so therefore you will be utterly compelled to do so. That's not the way it works either. Uh You might find that if I hypnotize you to go to the gym more often that you have a little voice in the back of your head reminding you that, oh yeah, it's it's time to go to the gym. I haven't done that today. It's time to work out. But it's really up to you to either listen to that voice and do what it's telling you or to ignore it. The way I always do Describe that sort
0: of little voice is I think the best way to have people who've never experienced it understand is bad habits. So, like biting your nails. You don't realize you're biting your nails, but when you do, you can physically stop yourself. It's just there. And the reverse is true for hypnosis. And it is sort of, you know, you will have that little voice in your head telling you to go to the gym more, but you can also succumb to the feeling of, but it's raining outside,
1: but I'm tired, but my
0: favorite show is on.
1: Yes. So it can work for that, and some people have seen a lot of success, but I don't want to minimize the amount of work involved. It is still a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it is basically motivation and habit forming. It is, yes. And of course, even though Jim's the more popular one, there's plenty. I know people who want hypnosis to help make them more piggy, Mm -hmm. like let go of their inhibitions more. Um, I know people who want to do the opposite. They have like a feeder fetish and they basically want to
1: help increase their appetite. There's a number of things you can do with it. I've worked with people who feel super stressed all the time and want to let go of that stress. I've worked with people who want to learn how to have sex better, to feel more comfortable while bottoming or to feel more confident while topping. I've worked with people who have a lot of anxieties and insecurities about who they are and what they want. Um, there's a lot of people with internalized homophobia or internalized kink shaming and who are looking for ways to become more comfortable with their, with themselves and with what they want. Um, I've worked with people who like the idea of being trained or being, quote, enslaved by hypnotists. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think if that's what you want, then you should go for it. Um, I've also worked with people who want to use hypnosis as a way of becoming more, more assertive, who mm-hmm. don't want to be enslaved, but people who want to feel like they are more in control of their own lives and they can choose their own destiny. And it can help for that as well. Yeah. And there's very much a
0: self-reinforcing aspect to this, whereas the more you do something, the more you enter a mindset... The easier it will be
1: to stay in that mindset or stay That's in true. that. That's true. And uh, similarly, the longer that you've been doing a particular thing, the harder it is to stop. So, for example, I've also done sessions with people who want to quit smoking. Okay. That is a pretty common request when it comes to hypnosis as well. And the thing about smoking cessation is there's two factors involved. There is the physical habit of how long you have been smoking uh how used to your body how how much your body is used to having that in its system and how accustomed you are to like taking smoking breaks during the day and these little habits and rituals that you go through so that's one part of it but another part of it is the identity of being a smoker if you are a person who thinks to yourself i am a smoker and then you are trying to change that. You're trying to quit smoking. You are essentially trying to change your identity or, in effect, even trying to invalidate a part of your identity. And that can be really hard. Um, so I work on, with people who are interested in quitting smoking, I work on helping them to identify the little habits and rituals that they have around cigarettes and helping them find ways to change those habits and rituals into ones that don't involve cigarettes And I also work on reminding them that smoking is a choice. It's an activity. And even if it's an activity that they've done for many years, it doesn't have to define them. They are not defined by their activities. They're defined by who they are as a person. And quitting smoking does not invalidate who they are. It sounds almost a little silly to say it out loud, but the reality is that is a difficult switch for a lot of people. Very much so. A
0: lot of the time it defines like smoking defines your social behavior. Uh, I don't know what the laws in like Amsterdam are, but uh or the states or uh, mm-hmm. but I know that in England it's very much ever since the smoking ban came in, it's sort of you go outside with the other smokers all at the same time to be social. Yes. And there's very much a sort of situational reinforcement of you are a smoker. This is your social crowd because you are a smoker and it
1: defines part of you. And so trying to change that is much more difficult than you might expect. So, yeah, I think we've gone pretty
0: deep into this topic. What One of the things we always touch on is safety. Now, mm-hmm. we touched on this before, but is there a good guidelines for setting limits and triggers
1: and suggestions when working with someone? Again, try to be realistic. Mm-hmm. Determine what you realistically can and cannot do, what you can and cannot commit to. If you are a subject trying to find a hypnotist and you're trying to evaluate if they are a good hypnotist to work with, a couple of things I would suggest are listen to your gut. Um, Oh, yes. yes. If someone strikes you as untrustworthy for whatever reason, that doesn't necessarily mean that you instantly run away screaming, but you should be very suspicious of that person. And you should be unwilling to work with them unless they can truly prove that your initial suspicion was wrong. Um, Don't be afraid to ask for references as well. Um, If you're dealing with someone who claims to be an experienced hypnotist, you should ask them about some of the other people that they've hypnotized. See if you can get in contact with those people and ask them about their experience with that person. Um, Ask about what their kinks and fetishes are, ask about what they like and what they don't like. Um, in particular, one thing to discuss is the idea of post-hypnotic amnesia. Uh, post-hypnotic amnesia means that after you come out of a hypnosis session, you're unable to remember what happened while you were hypnotized. And this is something that some people find to be very hot and some people find to be very scary. Um And again, some can be both at the same time. Post-hypno- post-hypnotic amnesia does really exist. It can happen. It's not as common as the movies and TV make it out yeah. to be. Most people do not experience post-hypnotic amnesia, at least not the first time that they're working with someone. But it can happen. And that's something that you want to discuss with your hypnotist ahead of time to talk about whether that is something that you want, something that you don't want, and how you're willing to let the hypnotist, the hypnotist try to influence that. So some people like the idea of remembering nothing when they come out of trance. Some people like the idea of remembering only sort of the broad strokes of what happened, but mm-hmm. none of the details. And some people want to be able to recall everything.
0: I think that is very important, which is have an understanding that you can keep yourself safe. As yes. you said before, if, if that sense of trust or your gut is telling you, it will help prevent you from going under or bring you up out of, um, trance if
1: you feel something's going wrong. That is true. Uh, there are people talk about depth of trance, mm. how deep you can go into a hypnotic trance. And the reality is that even when you're in a light trance, that can be very effective for setting triggers and for playing around with all the fun things that hypnosis allows you to do in the bedroom. But the deeper that you go into that experience, the more effective those triggers will be for you, the more strongly you'll respond to them, and the longer that they'll tend to last afterwards as well. Hypnosis is not a binary thing. It's not either, yes, I'm hypnotized, or no, I'm not. It's more of a gradient going from fully awake and aware Uh, all the way down to deeply, deeply asleep. And the more trust and comfort that you feel with your hypnotist, the deeper you'll be able to go along that continuum. Some people also have, um, actually I would say almost everyone, has mechanisms inside their own head that protect them from extending too much trust all at once. So typically the first time that you work with a particular hypnotist, there's a limit to how deep you'll be able to go. And where that limit is varies from person to person, but it depends on how open you are to trusting people immediately versus how cautious you are about extending that trust. And I think that's a natural and healthy thing. It should be the case that you should vet and validate someone before allowing them unfettered access to your mind. So
0: (laughs) yeah. One thing that frustrates me is on sort of the hypnosis forums and sites you get a lot of people who just ping you out of the blue, never talked to them before, and it's like, hey, want to trance? I'm on Skype now, want to ju- trance yeah. And it's like, A, how effective is that going to be? And B, I have no idea who you are and what you want to do to my brain, so no.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, I think a good guideline for limits is be willing to start small, like, Never do long-term suggestions on your first Mm trance, like be willing to build up. Just, you know, just ease into it and you can get a proper feel for the people.
1: Yes, I think that's very true.
0: We should talk about what red flags to look for if someone's contacted you.
1: Yeah, if someone seems desperate to work with you, either as a hypnotist or as a subject, that is definitely a red flag. Um that indicates a level, perhaps, of, of obsession that may not be what you want to deal with at that point in time. Yes. People who are right out of the gate interested in very extreme hypnotic suggestions, things like total enslavement and causing you to move to be with the, the hypnotist and things like that, oh, definitely God. a red yes. flag. Yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. There, there is sadly more than that. The thing is, this parallels, like uh, any other corner of the kink world, you get these people who are like, you know, as soon as you say hello, you are my slave. And if I like you, you will move across the country and blah, blah, blah. And yes. Live in my basement, in my isolated ranch, like in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, another thing I would say as a red flag is an unwillingness to share any sort of personal information. hmm. I can totally understand and respect people having their privacy and not wanting to share things such as their name and their address and so on. That's perfectly understandable. But at the same time, if you're talking about an experience where one person is influencing the mind of the other, that is a very intimate experience. That's something that requires a lot of trust. And if you as a hypnotist are saying, I want you to trust me enough to give me access to your mind, but I don't trust you enough even to show you my face. Yeah. Then that sort of imbalance of trust is also a red flag.
0: Yes, very much so. Um One I think one I've experienced is people trying to artificially build trust very quickly. I've had people again in the past when I was younger and naïve, um, who immediately on the first session tried to put in like a continual trigger to reinforce trust in them and i'm like hold on why are you doing that rather than putting in the effort yeah and it
1: yeah some people find that sort of um It's almost underhanded in a way. Some people find that underhandedness to be an arousing situation because some people enjoy the idea of the, quote, evil hypnotist.
0: Yes. I mean, I am one of those people. Mm
1: -hmm. I like the feeling
0: of being sort of stripped of control and of being manipulated is especially a turn on for me. But there, this is what role plays for. Mm -hmm. And I think I've met so many people that are like, no, I can't ever roleplay. It has to be real and genuine and like, it's okay to roleplay and roleplay can be very fun. Absolutely. And the thing is with hypnotism, it isn't 100% fake or real. Like Mm -hmm. you can roleplay with real
1: elements of being hypnotized in the mix. Absolutely. As far as the whole suggestion about making the subject trust the hypnotist more, I will admit that that is a suggestion that I have given to to some of my subjects in the past. But it doesn't preclude me from putting in the effort to try to get to know them, to answer their questions, and to make them feel outside of trance that I'm also a trustworthy person.
0: Oh, yes. I mean, to talk about our personal experiences, you did use that. And the thing was, I felt okay with it in that instance, because I had very much learned to trust you beforehand. You you were introduced to me as a friend of a friend, whose opinion I hold quite high in there, and you proved yourself quite trustworthy, so I was quite comfortable. My bad experience was an online guy who I had spent about five minutes talking to.
1: Yes. And it's like you can see the difference in that situation. Exactly. I mean, when we're talking about safety and red flags when it comes to something like hypnosis, it's hard to say definitively that any specific activity or any specific thing is always a red flag, because building up to that, it can be fine. But generally, if someone is trying to come on too strong too quickly, if someone is saying things like, I want you to hypnotize me completely and utterly and enslave me right away Mm -hmm. without any discussion, without any lead up, that sort of thing is a red flag. People moving too quickly, having unrealistic expectations and having unrealistic beliefs about what it means to hypnotize someone or to be hypnotized all of those are red flags not because of what is being said but because of the speed and lack of lack of critical thought of how they're saying it
0: so i think one of the things we should cover is online versus in
1: person doing hypnosis online versus doing it in person yes yes because they are very different that's true yes yes Sometimes when I talk to people about hypnosis, they're actually surprised that you can do hypnosis over a video chat as well. Mm-hmm. Um And it's true that can actually work surprisingly well for most people. Uh As I've talked about, all that hypnosis is is a state of highly focused attention and you can certainly become highly focused during any sort of conversation, even a conversation with a friend that's happening online. So, yes doing hypnosis online can work quite well in my experience it tends to work not quite as well as doing it in person but they both have their trade-offs in terms of positives and negatives Um, i would say doing hypnosis online is much more easy and accessible in terms of location because it means that people don't have to travel to each other of course and the number of people who seem to be interested in this fetish is comparatively small com- uh, compared to, for example, leather or rubber or some of the other yeah. more well-known fetishes. And as a result, it always tends to be that the people you're interested in playing around with are not located close to you, sadly.
0: Yes, that is a big problem. It is quite often quite hard to find someone local to you.
1: Yes. Yes. So as a result, a lot of this fetish community happens online, and a lot of people do do hypnosis over video chat. Um, there's lots of different options for which video chat system to use. Uh, you can use Skype or FaceTime or Discord or uh, whatever you want to use. Um, it seems like a lot of people use Skype these days. Although I think it would be nice to move to a more open and secure option, but we can talk about that later. Yes. Yes. Video chat hypnosis works very well in terms of timing and also in terms of the subject feeling initially more secure with the experience because you, it's a lot easier to relax in your own home in a place that you know and feel comfortable with with the knowledge that the hypnotist cannot physically touch you or do anything to you aside from the hypnosis session as they talked about the two main downsides i would say of video chat hypnosis is connection problems and risk of recording
0: yes this is something that has come up before uh, the risk of recording and obviously i think after this past year we are all very aware of the limitations of
1: consistent video chat quality exactly yes um if you are a hypnotist and you are doing hypnosis over video chat i have found that it's not that hard to provide suggestions towards the beginning of the hypnosis session about how if the subject finds themselves with a bad connection or broken connection that they will be able to get back in contact with the hypnotist Easily and smoothly and that when that happens that they will go right back down into trance again So if you are able to give those suggestions Then that can work much better than you might expect even in spite of connection problems But it's still frustrating when they happen Um, And it's annoying when you have someone in a trance and the connection is broken and you know that you can't reach them until their connection is fixed somehow Uh, it's especially a problem if, for example, the power goes out or there's a connection problem that is outside, that is outside the ability of you or them to fix. Um, sometimes things just break and they don't get fixed for hours or days. So.
0: One of the most frustrating things to have happened to me was, uh, I was in trance and a hypnotist was in the middle of giving me a suggestion. And the audio became very garbled when he gave the trigger word and nothing mm-hmm. else. So mm-hmm. it's like I needed to sort of ask him to repeat that, which which felt like it ruined it in the moment. Yes. But it's sort of like, yes, I
1: can't. It, it cut out at the worst possible time. So technical limitations can certainly be a problem. They're a problem that can be mostly mitigated, but not completely. The other problem, as I mentioned, is the risk that somebody is recording a session, um, which is something that you can talk about how you do or don't feel comfortable with recordings, but ultimately it's not something that you can control.
0: Yeah, it's... One of the problems I have with the Skype record feature, as it is built in now, is it doesn't automatically notify all parties that the recording has begun. Mm -hmm. And that I find is extremely dangerous, yes, I mean, just in general, it's bad um like technology in general has a bad consent culture, yes, but um yeah, there have been a lot of incidents um in the community where it has been found out someone or many people have um recorded sessions
1: and sold them on, yes. The unfortunate thing is that any sort of kink that involves a large amount of power imbalance is a kink that can attract bad actors—people who are interested in abusing the situation for their own gain. That is not specific to hypnosis; that is just about anything oh, in life, much. to be honest. Yeah,
0: yeah. As we've continually talked about through, like all the red flags, these are the exact same things you need to watch out
1: for for any kink player. Yes. That's true. Um One other thing I wanted to mention about connection problems as well that I forgot to mention earlier is that some sometimes people have asked me if it's possible to get stuck in trance if you get hypnotized and then something goes wrong, and then what happens if the hypnotist goes away before bringing you out of trance? Um The answer to that is no, it's not possible to get stuck in trance. You can come out of trance anytime you want to, it's about making a mental shift back to a state of being awake. And whether that is because the hypnotist has gone away or because the hypnotist has done something that you feel is unethical or you don't feel comfortable anymore at any, at any point, you're able to bring yourself out of trance just the same way as if you're in a movie theater and watching a movie, you can always just stand, stand up, walk out and leave. You always have that option to do that. But if the hypnotist is doing a good job, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to feel very comfortable uh continuing to be hypnotized and continuing to follow the suggestions of the hypnotist. If the session is broken all of a sudden because of a connection problem, that can certainly be disorienting when you have to bring yourself out of a trance without expecting to. But it's still something that you are able to do, even though some people have told me that they find um, they are a little disoriented for a while afterwards as they're readjusting to coming out of trance on their own. But it's not dangerous. It's not something that will hurt you. At most, it's disorienting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You either way sort of come out of trance. Or the other thing is, I've had it where um, a similar situation where I've been left in trance and I just went to sleep, like yeah. proper sleep, and
1: yes. just had a nice nap. Like, that can work too. So yeah, we talked about uh, doing hypnosis online. Uh, we haven't yet talked about doing hypnosis in, in person. Yes. Um, doing Rich. hypnosis. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because
0: uh, we mentioned one of the things about doing it online is you feel safer because you're not in the room with someone. The flip side of that is you can get a lot more interaction with someone in person. And the other thing is, like speaking personally, I find physical inductions much more
1: effective than pure vocal ones. Absolutely. I believe that when I did a session with you, I started it off by giving you a background and integrating that into the induction. Yes, yes, that was well, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so when you are physically together, hypnotist and subject together, there are many more options available for things that you can do to integrate into the hypnosis session. Um, not just visual things and auditory things, but also Physical and tactile things, uh things involving the heat of your bodies together, or the sensation of various different materials, such as leather and rubber. Uh, it's possible to play around with the hypnotist moving from place to place so that the subject can hear his voice coming from different places. Whispering in someone's ear, one ear and then the other, can be a very interesting experience for the subject um, playing around with physical triggers and sensations as well. I quite enjoy triggers that involve amping up the physical, uh, physical sensitivity of different parts of the body, whether that is for, uh, playing around with intense pleasure or playing around with tickling people, Mm -hmm. um, or, making you incredibly turned on by a specific part of the body like you and I did. Yeah. Um, there's also just the fact that you can combine physical sensations as a trigger. Um, you can use a physical sensation as a way of starting a trigger as well, or the stimulus that causes the triggered response. Mm. Uh, so for example, a touch on a specific part of the body or a squeeze or something like that is a way of being able to trigger someone in a situation where other people may be present and may not mm-hmm. know what's going on. So for example, if I had a boy that I had hypnotized and given several triggers to, we might go out in public together. You know, if, if this was not uh, coronavirus time, yeah. then we could go to a party or go to a restaurant together or something like that. And it can be a lot of fun to be able to use triggers on him without anyone around us knowing. And sometimes a physical sensation is a good way of making that trigger happen in a way that other people aren't aware of. That sounds very fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one
0: thing I've learned is, so a lot of people seem to go through this same, these same phases where they start off listening to recordings. Mm-hmm. Then they progress to like Skype or online video chats. And then they meet people in person. Mm-hmm. And I do feel the intensity and sort of what you can get out of a hypnosis session does increase with each of those phases. Like, I do find most in-person sessions much more intense yes. um, than, so, say, a video session, and especially a pre-made recorded audio.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of people like uh, pre-made audio for many different reasons, including the fact that it's accessible and it's easy to play the recording whenever you want. But the biggest downside of a prerecorded session is that there's no interplay between the hypnotist and the subject. Yeah. It's not possible for the hypnotist to ask questions of the subject and respond to the answers. It's not possible for the subject to see what is working well for the subject and what's working badly and adjust to compensate. Um, personally I don't generally make pre-recorded sessions because I really enjoy that interplay I get a lot out of working with someone uh directly in a live session whether that is in person or over video chat and for me it's very important to be able to see how they're responding and to use that information to adjust what I do in the hypnosis session but I also understand that not everyone is able to find the time and the privacy to make that happen or that they just want to have one session that they listen to over and over as a way of implanting ideas deeper into their head Um, because
0: repetition is a good way to ingrain ideas it's like the
1: idea behind doing daily mantras exactly yes so i would not say that pre-recorded sessions are worthless not at all i think that there is a place for them and a lot of people enjoy them very much it's just not really my thing personally
0: cool so uh,
1: i think we should talk about where people can
0: go to sort of meet other hypnotists and actually get to know people and sort
1: of maybe explore this sure so there are uh, a couple of different online destinations for where you can find people who are interested in this um, probably the largest website right now, the largest online community is a website called hypnosisforguys.com, um, which is the successor in a series of online communities organized by the erotic hypnosis community um, where each time it seems to be that the website is run by a specific person and it gets run for a while and then they lose interest and the site shuts down and then somebody else pops up with a new site. Um, it's a bit frustrating. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, the thing is, often these are run as sort of cottage, like, or hobby sites. Yes. You know, if people can't make a living off doing it, and running a large community and a large website is a lot of work. It is, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's like, and so I have to ask, why did you start doing yours?
1: <laughs> yes. So um, there is a system called Mastodon that allows many different people to communicate with each other across different websites. Uh, think of it sort of like Twitter, but distributed, in the same way that emails are distributed. If I have an email address at yahoo.com and you have an email address at gmail.com, we can still talk with each other. And similarly, on Mastodon, different websites can also talk with each other and can follow each other as well. So I decided that I wanted to make my own uh, Mastodon instance focused specifically on hypnosis and you can visit it at hypnoguys.com. The large established community that I talked about earlier is hypnosisforguys.com. Mine is hypnoguys.com. It's shorter. Um, yeah. But I mean, yes. So why did I do it? I I did it because I think that the existing website, the hypnosis for guys has a mm-hmm. lot of problems um, it's very difficult to actually provide information about yourself. And although there is a search feature, it's hard to find if people can really vet each other or, or what makes sense in terms of finding another hypnotist or a subject. And I like the idea of an open and distributed network like Mastodon. So I wanted to make my own little corner of the Internet and start posting about my own experiences there. And it's gone pretty well so far.
0: Yes. I mean, I always enjoy uh, reading your posts because you often do reports, if your sublet uh, is okay with it, to Uh talk about the experiences you've had there. And, you know, it's very fun reading them. Like, Hypnosis for Guys, the way I describe it is sort of a homepage profile. Uh You create, like, your bio, put up some pictures, and join groups. Um... But it's very bad for creating consistent interaction with people. Yes. Because Mastodon is sort of that microblogging social media back and forth. Mastodon's much better for sort of creating
1: conversations with people. Yes. So initially, I started it. I think mostly just because I wanted to have a place where I could uh, write down my own experiences with hypnosis sort of as a semi-public journal for myself so that I could go back and read about all the things that I had done and remind myself of those experiences. But I've discovered that other people seem to enjoy reading them as well. Yes. Um, Yes. And I'm trying very hard to facilitate interaction between people as well. So I encourage the people that I've done sessions with to sign up for an account on this social network as well. And I'll mention them when I write about the hypnosis session. And that way – people who are interested in working with me can ask some of these other people who have worked with me about their experiences. It's a kind of social proof. It's a Mm -hmm. way of showing people that I am legitimate and that I've worked with people and saying, yeah, if if you want references, these are the people that you can talk to.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's like, so uh, as we discussed, it's j- distributed. Um I am on the Bear Dot community server, which is set up for bearish gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um but I pretty much have a lot of fun talking with you there and a lot of the people that have come onto your server. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I recommend trying it out.
1: I recommend that as well. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's obviously hypnosis for guys, your Mastodon server, mm-hmm. hypnoguys.com. So where can people contact you?
1: So I go by the username Harry Hypnotist on basically any place that I am on the internet. That's H A I R Y Harry Hypnotist because I am a very hairy person. Okay. Um so you can find me as the username Harry Hypnotist on uh the HypnoGuys Mastodon server. You can find me at that username on Hypnosis for Guys. You can email me if you want to, harryhypnotist at gmail.com. And generally, you can find me in other places as well. I'm active on Discord, um, and I'm on Skype as Harry Hypnotist. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get in touch with me. But if you have questions, if you want to follow up and maybe book a session with me, you're more than welcome to do so. Just reach out, and I'm happy to have a conversation.
0: Yeah, because, again, you do this professionally,
1: and it's uh-huh. sort of a job for you. I do charge money for doing hypnosis sessions, whether they are erotic hypnosis or hypnotherapy. But I never charge money for discussing conversation, oh, sorry, discussing hypnosis, having conversations about it. And sometimes I'm I'm able to help match up prospective hypnotists with prospective subjects. And I don't charge for that either.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, like you are one of the nicest guys I've met and you do put a lot of effort into trying to build a community and connecting people which is
1: part of why i wanted to have you on this show and thank okay. you thank you very much for coming on you're very welcome and i would also encourage anyone else who has an interest in hypnosis If you want to post on this Mastodon server as well, I would love to hear other people's experiences and perspectives on hypnosis as well. Since I created the server, it's been sort of a one-man show for a while now. And that's not a bad thing per se, but I think it would be even better if there were more people posting about their own experiences. So if you're a subject, if you're a hypnotist, if you're curious, if you want to learn more, please sign up and let's make this community more active.
0: Yeah, and if you're going to do that, and you want to sign up and make a post, use the hashtag KBhypno, or one word, because that's how hashtags work, mm-hmm. Um just so we can search for it and sort of like, it would be a great way to connect people through that. That sounds uh, awesome. Yes. So yes, that's the hashtag KBhypno, and that's on hypnoguys.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, thank you very much for coming on. And I hope our listeners have found this very enlightening. I think they would. And to our listeners, I'd like to say thanks for listening and play safe.